0: Actually, like literally oh. right before this, I, I, okay. I got out of class and then uh, <laughs> Breed did the, like, let's record an
1: hour later. I was like, okay, sweet. Cause I am not ready.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and,
1: yes. No, it's well. And I, then full disclosure, I knew it was happening today, but because of the time difference, I was like mm. playing with my nephews
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Breed, when you messaged, I was like, Oh uh, yes. Like we have to record number <laughs> one. It has to be today. So I was like, we're not postponing again. And yeah. I was like, okay, children, you have to go away. And my brother and his wife are like, don't worry, we got them. So they're like downstairs and lovely kids, but they are just everything. Uncle Neil is endlessly fascinating to them. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm looking for my headphones. Like, can we play the headphones? And I'm like, no, you can't play them. So I'm looking for them so I can use them right now. No, but there
3: are, as Uncle See, everything you have is now mine.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Like, you- uh, you are visiting here so yeah no they're, they're like can i have this can i i was like those are my crystals which keep me sane <laughs> those are, no those are goggles for in case tear gas is shot at us at a protest you can't have it you know
3: like. <laughs> pretty Neil. tell us more
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now i happen to like there's been a it's really funny my sister-in-law she's like banned Paw Patrol in the house because she's like, there are no police. <laughs> no Ooh, police presence in just, this house. Yeah. So I can't like, believe Paw Patrol is about a cop and trying to induct you it. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> even put it together, and I was like, oh... Well, that tracks with our values right now. So no, Power Patrol, but that's our show. And please keep watching. Like, yeah. <laughs> but please support my friends at work. But uh,
0: yeah. yeah, I Aww. feel like it, it's definitely like a double edged, uh, like sword, I guess, because it's kind of like, I mean, it is the law enforcement is a career path. But also, like right now, it's very much like a. Uh, Uh, a power that is abused in our system so it's like hey we can be uh funding other like aspects of our government like education and uh just yes trying uh, trying to fund those more instead of like
1: this
3: kids that cops need to control themselves like
1: yeah yeah Yeah. well yeah i think we should be talking to the kid like kid like kids are seeing what's going on they're picking up Mm -hmm. on it and like um we should be able to talk to them about like why, you know, my values right now very much are, for example, are very much defund the police and Mm -hmm. yeah sitting and being able to talk to kids about that is important because like, these are values that are important to me. I'm not trying to indoctrinate them in any way, but I'm like, this is why I am going out in the streets. This is why I'm writing and saying what I do. And this is the problem that we're having in this community. And also I'm talking to two little black kids and I'm like, Mm -hmm you are who I'm out here talking about. So I, you know, you are here. I I want you not to ever think about things I do when I get pulled over, you know? And, um, so to me, I'm like, yes, like, yes, you are three and six, but let's sit down and talk about it. So, um, can't watch
0: utopia anymore either. (laughs) Yeah. I was literally thinking about that. I was just like, oh man. Okay. Utopia is like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh geez. So, so one of
3: our, one of our previous guests, um, al-tariq harris who yes. runs Tune tunerific Tariq on youtube i was talking to him oh, wow. um in a discord group and i brought up zootopia and how like i mean uh, how we were talking about like propaganda in um animated content and i was just like well don't forget in zootopia like the minority character becomes a cop and say right. like, and then he was like wait what and I was like when was the last time you watched Zootopia yeah. become yeah. a cop I, was like, right. <laughs> and I think I've just officially ruined Zootopia for two years oh, no, <laughs> oh, he's oh, like God. I hate it now and I'm like oh. <laughs> I was like when I walked out the theater with my boyfriend I thought that didn't sit right with me I'm like cool the character that's like the coded minority mm-hmm. eventually becomes the cop it's kind of weird
2: it does
1: (laughs) happen at the last second (laughs) yeah and on top of that she's you know that i mean we get into so many layers of but you're a meter maid, and like traffic cops are that's one of the first like levels of oppression Mm -hmm. (laughs) against you know people of color and Mm -hmm. um yeah there's so much there's so there's so much i'm like i want to watch it but it just it's it is it is the cop again everything about it like being a cop is her dream and you know the cops are this like are portrayed as like this golden like that is the goal, and um, and that they are good, and they're right, and all these things that which that just now do not play; they just don't, they don't track well in our current climate. Right. They yeah. don't make sense to reality at all. They've never really been the case of what police are about, mm-hmm. and so. You know yeah. I, what I will say is like I will not do any I will not stream it I won't do anything that will bring it extra money but I might watch mm-hmm. it on my own on like a Blu Ray or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Utopia yeah, like I feel is like animated
3: this- very well. It is a fun yes. little yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just one of those like mm, this is the deli- ooh.
0: There's yeah. the nasty part. Yeah, I just feel
3: like, yes. like you're um, eating you know, you a good sandwich and then you get that like nasty like old pickle and you're like,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That is mm-hmm. a great analogy. <laughs> it's like you when you get your peanut butter jelly sandwich, you want it creamy but you got crunchy, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my equivalent because I did not want It like was still kinda
3: weird though, like that I wait, thought that wait. they threw every like microaggression in the movie so it made it a little unclear this has become the zootopia yeah hold on i just
0: want to i just want to say real quick welcome to the defund the animated police podcast because we are like six minutes in and we haven't even (laughs) introduced whoops uh, uh, (laughs) welcome to defund
1: the propaganda podcast (laughs) i mean that was secretly my plan all along guys <laughs> <Yes>. Oh man!
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I am very excited to be here. Let me say this: I am very excited to be here. I've been, I obviously, I love the podcast. I've been a fan. Um, You're also just part the of call the 100. group. I am <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. is that like a conflict of interest? <laughs> no, no absolutely. Not. Not. I mean, no, we no, interviewed no, no, no. <laughs> and love Lorraine already, so
0: no. <laughs> also, we did not say uh, we are welcoming neil wade
3: <laughs> yeah, introduce yourself neil who are yes. you
1: who are so you and I, what do you do in animation uh i'm neil i'm a superhero and no um <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm wow. neil wade i am currently a am uh, a coordinator for current animated current series at nickelodeon animation uh, what that means is that basically i'm a very i'm a i'm a an, i'm an entry level. Exe- I'm an executive. I'm a creative executive at Nickelodeon. Is what I should say. And, a black um, executive. And, what? And, what? And, um, what? Very proud to say one of two at the moment um, at Nickelodeon Animation. And when I say I'm proud to say that, it's like I am proud to be in that space. But obviously, we need much, much more development and um, you know development of of black and colored talent at that level. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, and what I like to say to people is that you know, having come from production, it's been a really interesting uh, switch in my paradigm and kind of perspective, and just understand having a wider understanding of how animation works and why certain things happen and why there are certain limitations um, to how. Shows are made. Um, that said, it's also expanded my influence in a certain way, <laughs> and I'm here for the power. No, um, <laughs> but it, it's I like that a lot of the things I was kind of trying to do on like at an extracurricular level are now within the purview of my job and within like my ability mm. um, and, and uh, scope as you know working in animated current series, and so it's been really nice to be able to have to move forward with a lot of my goals like finding more black talent and doing more outreach and being able to recommend talent to people that will in a way that they'll actually listen. That's something I've really enjoyed. So, um, yeah, that's not really an introduction, but that's what I do.
0: <laughs> oh, comedian,
1: an
3: introduction, so. yeah.
1: Heck yeah. That's
0: fantastic. And that's and, like,
1: that's <laughs> super
0: cool.
3: And, and Neil, as uh, we briefly mentioned before, is uh, one of the uh, leads of black and animated. He is in the know-all and be-all of a lot of like studio stuff so I believe the title I don't know we, we're we still like <laughs> what are titles
1: yeah. but I that we were
3: like calling you our studio like liaison <laughs> basically of the yes.
1: group mm-hmm. which I wear with honor and pride like I mean I really do think that is a role that is fitting for me and also uh, you know some uh, a, a role that uh, can have Back to making having an influence. So, like, I'm glad I can be of service to the Black animation community and the Black community as a whole in this capacity. So, thank you guys for being a part of this cause with me and allowing me to step into this role under the Black and Animated kind of umbrella. Oh, you love welcome.
0: Yeah, we're cool. happy to have you.
1: Oh yeah, you guys are great. You really, are. <laughs> 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 not just saying that. You guys are amazing at what you've accomplished and what we are accomplishing. And I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm seeing things, you know, black and animated has allowed things to happen for our community. Number one, just bring us together and have a space where we know that we are here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something I dreamt about for years in animation and did not see until, was that 2018? Um, You know, almost 10 years into my career that there was a mobilization of the black animation professional community. And that just feels really great to be a part of now. I'm gonna Thanks, get
2: guys.
1: emotional. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> That's well, so sweet. But we're gonna have a good time to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let's get
0: into this. All right. Yes. So, so um oh, wait, were you about you to want... start brief?
3: Yeah, I was just Ooh. gonna ask, like, so let's take it back back to the past and just yeah. kinda how did you find yourself in the land of animation? Like what, what drew you to
1: it? Yes. Um, well, uh, I'm going to tell a long story, but as short as possible, <laughs> but, um, just growing up, um, oh, yes. go for yeah, it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, get to talking. Yes. Um, always been a huge like comic book, comic books and anime were like, basically the start for me of like, just uh, interest in like these creative, like visual storytelling. And, um, as a kid, me and my brothers, we'd sit around drawing, uh, I have three brothers. We'd sit around and draw all the time. That was kind of like part of our our free time. And my um, parents didn't really let us watch a lot of television. Um, specific, specifically during the week we weren't we couldn't watch television at all. And then on Friday nights we kind of did a family TV thing. We watched and we watched Looney Tunes over dinner, and that was kind of where animation became like forefront in my uh, in my psyche. Um, a couple of years later, I really started getting into comic books, and like that was when my 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 attention shifted. I wanted to be a comic book artist all through high school. I was determined to work at Marvel and work on the X Men. And uh, probably around junior year, my dad was sat me down. and was like, "Look, son, I know you love to draw. That's great, but art will not make money." And so it kind of switched my attention to. I was like, "How do I find a profession that will frankly ap- appease my parents, where I still get to draw?" And um parents don't understand. The, oh my god, parents yeah. really don't. And I don't want to knock my parents were actually very supportive of things once I decided on them. But I was definitely a kid who was all over the place. And my parents were like, okay, this one needs to get it together. <laughs> and so no, they just no, wanted me fair. to find direction. Yeah. <laughs> and they also are of a generation where they're like, especially as a black man, you need to be you need to make sure that you're making money to support your family. And so that was their concern came from and I, I completely understand it. And also there wasn't, I grew up in Oklahoma. There wasn't really this culture that appreciated or promoted uh, the creative arts. Um, it was very much like professions and, you know, getting into something that was like a hard, hard career that definitely made you money. So that was where I was going into college. So I ended up going to school for architecture, studying oh, wow. that for four years. It was an amazing education, but around year three, I, it kind of hit me. That I was like, I don't love this. Like I, I'm surrounded by people who love what they're doing. I was decent at it. I was making decent grades, but I didn't love what I was doing. And, um, was kind of in a tailspin. And luckily one of my nerdy anime friends who was a grad student from Japan was like, dude, you are such an otaku. Like you should go to Japan and teach English. And, um, you know, word, it just you know, the see, like, yeah. Oh, man. Like it was he, like that's what he called me, which makes sense because I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I ended up applying for the JET program, which is the Japanese exchange teaching program, a government program where you teach English, where native English speakers go to Japan and teach in high schools. I was one of five people who applied for my school. I was the only one who had no background in Japanese study or anything. So I was like, this is not going to happen. But I ended up being the only one who got in <laughs> to the program, oh, wow. to the school. <laughs> yeah, Snack. and I and I think it's because I didn't have the background, and they wanted people who were like, they're like, we wanted to bring bring all your America <laughs> when you get here. <laughs> so, um, oh boy, yeah. So um, I ended up going to like after after graduation, I went home for I yeah I went home for about a month. I did a art program in Italy for a month, and then I flew to Chicago for two days for orientation and then i flew out to japan and um i ended up teaching in japan i I, my goal was to go there for a year figure out what i was going to do with my life ended up staying for three years best three years of my life wow Um,
3: that sounds really awesome not gonna lie
1: it was amazing and completely i tell you, it's the best decision of my life and it completely got me on the path to where i am now
3: wait did you did you Could you speak Japanese?
1: Like, how did you
3: navigate the language barrier of living in
1: Japan? (laughs) Well, funny you should ask that. Because I was wondering that myself on my way there. And after orientation, there wasn't really language. (laughs) The orientation was very much about, like, what it's like to teach for this program. I get to Tokyo. Like, we have three days, quote, unquote, orientation there. And I'm like, oh, maybe we'll get some more there. Same kind of thing. It was, like, very, like, you know, pragmatic and very much about, like, the, how you how to live in J- Japan, um, how to navigate the program. And then they sent us off to our towns. And mind you, my, I worked in a tiny town. It was in the third least populated prefecture in the country. It's called Fukui. Even when I would mention, even when I mentioned that to Japanese people, they're like, oh, Fukushima. I'm like, no, Fukui. They're like, Fukuoka. And I'm like, no, Fukui. <laughs> and the people are like, we I don't know that. what
3: that is. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's ironic because it actually is a very significant, um, uh, Location, kind of area of Japan. There's a lot of like it, it, historically, it's got it holds a lot of weight. Um, but it's it was a very small town. Yet they had a big history, a big tradition of uh, international trade and in foreigners were coming in and out because for a long time it was the o- one of the only open ports that did international trade for Japan. Um, it was also um, if you guys watch Kill Bill, um, the Hattori Hanzo swords. They talk about those swords mm-hmm. um, that type of sword was specifically made in our areas of the country called Etchizen. And uh, even now, that's kind huh. of like, they're known for their sword making and blades and knives. It's actually really customary to give, for wedding gifts, to give the couple a knife with their names engraved in it because that's the blade That's so making. metal. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? I want a knife. I want to get married what? just to yes. get a knife? What? Yes. Etchizen blades. So there's a. if you look up Etchizen, <laughs> that was the part of, that's what the old name of what fukui now is now so, i
0: want to give wedding um, knives that's
1: so good i want to give birthday yes. knives <laughs> <laughs> you can go and get now mind you they are very expensive like it's uh, like okay i was gonna get i was like oh that's cute i'm gonna get that for my parents so i was like Oop, no that's <laughs> and then you're trying to send them over yeah um yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting part of, of, of the country but it is very rural but very welcoming to foreigners in its own way. So it's so a kind of just weird, weird space. Nonetheless, oh, cool. um, I, I have, I mean, I could, I could spend hours talking about my time. I, I loved my time in Japan, but what really resonated was I remember um, just being there and it was first when Samurai Champloo was released there. It was a huge deal. And like, I remember just like seeing all the fanfare around it and just the design and just being able to experience like, <laughs> the native origin of what has become such a beloved uh, work to me was was like wow like this would be cool to do. I remember having the thought I was like it'd be cool to do this, and then it's actually when I went see Mind Game in Japan, in the theater. Mind you, I there were no subtitles. I knew no, I didn't know enough Japanese. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's going to um, be so
0: confusing.
1: If, it's already it was, like a crazy movie. It's, it's a crazy film. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is crazy. But I remember also sitting there and it was so beautiful. And just now that I only had the visuals to go off, I was like, I got to figure out how to do this. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But one way or another, I've got to figure out how to become an animator and make this thing. I had a friend who was from California who was there teaching with me. She's like, "Oh, well, you got to go to Cal Arts." I was like, "Girl, mm, you know me. I'm from Oklahoma. I'm not going to California." Well, okay. <laughs> and, um, but you know, over you know my last year there, she kept saying, "She's like, Neil, I'm just saying, if you want to do animation, you need to go to California." Mm. In my head i was going to go move back to america and i was going to move to new york where my mom's family is from and like go to grad school for architecture and become an architect and blah blah blah, blah. I would have, it would have been the worst decision if i had done that <laughs> so japan my time in japan kind of wrapped up um i came back home to save my mom for a year because that's what grown-ups do and um and w- even in that year it just kept coming back i was like okay I've got to figure out this animation thing. I don't know if I'm ready for California, but maybe there's a way in New York and just doing all these back clips. And it finally hit me. it's like, no, you just got to go to California, try and get into Cal arts and f- do animation. And so... Um,
3: Easiest pie, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, Easiest one, two, three. And was, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I was like, and I finally hit, me. I was like, okay, I'm going to be an animator. And I told it, and like, mind you, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I'm telling everyone, I'm moving to California to be an animator. Everyone's supportive. I'm taking a couple of art classes. I won a couple of awards at Tulsa Community College. So I was like, this will be a cinch. I'll apply to a few programs. I'll get into animation. I'll become an animator drove out to, uh, got in my mom's car, <laughs> drove out to California with a friend. On um, the
3: open road.
2: Uh, hey, it was, <laughs>
1: I mean, again, that's, that trip alone is just, <laughs> there could be hours and hours on that. Um, so I finally made it, made it, I keep saying to Japan. I got to California and uh, applied to a few programs. A few months went by. I'm kind of working some stupid jobs. And within the same week, my roommate at the time decided they were going to move out. I got all three rejection letters from all the programs and wow. I ended up get fired from one of the millions of jobs I had because it's L.A. Wow. And and it hit me and I was like, well, you know what, Neil? It's a wrap. You came out, you tried it. It didn't work. Um, and you're gonna, I was going to go home to Oklahoma and just figure out my life from there. And a very good friend of mine said to me, she's like, Neil, if you leave right now, you're going to go home and you're going to wonder, you're always going to regret having never really tried animation. And she's like, if you are really believing is this something you really, really want, then you got to find another way to figure it out. And I was like, you're right. And I figured it out. So I ended up getting another job. I was able to cover my rent and I uh, went back to community college to kind of just build my skills. And I was actually doing graphic design because they didn't really have an animation program. One of my instructors, like I said, this is a long story. One of my instructors, she said to me, she's like, Neil I've looked at your work and you're doing decent but I can tell that you want to be an and she's like that you want to that you want to do more visual storytelling and at this point I'm in I'm 25 26 she's like you're old <laughs> so unless you're going to go back and go back to school you need to find an internship if you're going to break into animation in a panic I fired off some letters to Cartoon Network Nickelodeon and I think Warner Brothers and Nickelodeon is the only place that got back to me um, I applied, got interviewed for an internship, and then got the call that I had not been accepted.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um,
1: uh-huh. it was, And um, I was like, damn. And so one of those moments, she's like, okay, you can stick around. What are you going to do? I ended up handwriting a letter to the woman I had been corresponding with. And was like, hey, Ashley, Ashley Brunsfield. I will give her props now because... I'll explain it later, but Ashley Rinsfield, who's now at DreamWorks. She was the head of the internship program at Nickelodeon at Simon. So I wrote her a letter saying, thank you for all your assistance. I really appreciated all you did for me. I didn't get it, but, you know, it was a nice try and blah, blah, blah. I'm done. She called me when she got that letter and was like, Neil, I just want to say, you know, no one's really written me a letter like that. Um, And I'm I'm going to tell you the reason that the only reason you didn't get into the program is that we received your materials a little later than we would have liked, but everyone liked you and we would love to place you. We think you'd be a good fit. So why don't you call me back in a little bit and we'll see what we can do about the next round, the next round of internships. Um, And I hope I'm not putting Ashley on blast too much, but I'm so grateful to her, but like. It it, was just a good blast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, I did, I reapplied, uh, that, that winter and I ended up getting into the program. And the first day of my internship, I think a significant to say was, uh, Obama's first inauguration.
2: Wow. And,
1: um, and so, oh, nah. um, yeah. And so it was just, for me, it was just a very, not, the, the, like, I feel like my career began the same day as his like presidency, which was <laughs> a very important uh, moment for me. So looking back, um, yeah, that's how I got into animation. Uh, I was interning at Nickelodeon on Dora the Explorer. Um, that led to, I actually, um, that led to a job where I PA'd on family guy, was there for a couple years. And I went back to Nickelodeon as a coordinator in 2012 and you got was stronger. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes. I came back on fire. And then, um, was there till 2017, went over to DreamWorks in production. And then, um, 2019, a, a friend of mine who worked in the current series at Nickelodeon and I, we had lunch, well, we had drinks and lunch. And um, in the course of the conversation, she kind of told me about what was happening, what was happening with the, with the department. And I was like, that sounds exactly like something I'd like to do. And she's like, okay, well, let's see what happens. A couple mm-hmm. months later, got a call that there was an opening and I submitted my information and like within a matter of weeks, I was back in Nickelodeon. And that is where... That's that's where I am now. That's the short version of my wow. long path to animation. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah.
3: So you said that um, your your folks were kind of more keen on you initially, trying to just, like, figure out what you wanted, figuring out what you wanted to do. Were they, yeah. when you ultimately made the decision to, like, I'm legit seriously going to pursue animation and, like, make the great leap out west to just get the animation job, were they like, yeah, yeah you know what? You're you're you, you're focused. We feel we feel it. Or were they still kind of like oh, I don't know?
1: I think they liked that I had made a decision <laughs> <laughs> like, by this time in my life. My You've parents made a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, they'd also grown accustomed to me being like the kind of unpredictable, like the unpredictable son. You know, like yeah,
0: um, you you did just go to Japan. <laughs>
1: that, yeah, like, that was one. They had like that had complete, that completely took them off guard. They were like, wait, what? Um,
3: I can't go out of Japan.
1: Yeah. Why? Because I want to. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and that's kind of how it went. Yes, you, were you there? Like,
2: where <laughs> is that you, girl?
1: <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, so, but by, by the time I kind of decided to do this, they were like, okay, yeah, go give it a try. I now know that my dad fully expected me to like fail miserably and come back home and help him start a business in Tulsa. But, um, but yeah, at the, at the time that I made that decision and decided to go out there, they were kind of like, okay, go and, you know, good luck and we'll support you as much as we can. But if it's looking bad, you know, <laughs> come back. So, <laughs> um, and, and again, I I mean, I make them sound, my parents really were just phenomenal parents and I, I think I was, the kind of, I was the kind of kid who needed direction a lot of time compared to my brothers, compared to a lot of other people. So them, they, they, everything they did and everything they said was always in the, with the best of intentions. And um, there was a payoff in that. You know, my father, I was also pretty sickly as a kid. So my father, who was a doctor, also worried about me in general overall more than my other brothers. And it took him kind of coming to see me and coming visiting me in uh, Los Angeles uh, probably three or four years in my time here. When he finally, I remember we had a conversation. He's like, you know what, son, I'm so proud of you. I see you like getting your life together and like, I don't have to worry anymore. I remember him saying that to me. And that was such a great moment that for someone who didn't understand or really believe that animation was a path uh, uh did, didn't understand the reality of animation as a career for him to come and see it, for him to come and see me and see that I was finding success that was, that was the turnaround where my parents were kind of like, okay, our son is a man now, you know? (laughs) So, um, it was nice to be able to like go through that journey and see them recognize me after those years of being the weird wild child kid, you know? That's cool.
0: Yeah. I, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really (laughs) cool. Yeah. I can, I can Mm kind (laughs) of relate to that. I, I am actually like the youngest of uh, all my siblings. So I, I kind of relate to the like, uh, uh I I have always been baby. The, the yeah the yeah. baby and the kind of the wild
2: <laughs> the one.
0: Uh, Yo, baby.
2: The
0: wild baby. Wild baby. <laughs> <laughs> um and and like the the goofy like spontaneous one so to yes. like I feel like I mean I I feel like I'm still kind of like proving to my, my dad that like I am okay at making like I think I mean he knows that I'm like okay making money. but yes. um it's definitely I remember just early on where uh, I was out here and he was kind of like, are you okay? Like, do you need me to like send you money? Are you doing okay? And I'm like, yeah, I have a job. I'm 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 making cartoons. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I have a career. I mean, it's not, it's not just like, (laughs) I'm not struggling and
1: not saying anything, you know? Right, I'm not living in a car. (laughs) You know, it's like it's. I have a roof over my head. I'm eating food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and we've. It's it's. I. I mean, I really love. Um, I think the reality of working in animation too has been such a. um, How should I say it? It, it, It's. I tell people that I didn't. I had no idea what I'd be doing before. Before every role I've had in animation, I wasn't quite sure what I'd be doing in the actual role. So when it Mm. came to like. You know, I interned and in like with internship, you know, as a production intern, and I was doing production things, but I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. So it's like when you, when I first got my first production job, I was like, oh, a, a episode takes about a year to make. Oh, there's this process in here. Oh, X sheets are really a thing here, but not quite what I learned they were when I was, you know, in that animation class. And so just the reality of working in animation it's such an abstract, even to people who are here and not necessarily in animation, but when you try and explain to someone who's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where, you know, most people are engineers or working in aerospace, it's, it's such a niche experience and niche professional life that we live to work in animation. And I think there's something really special and like kind of magical about that, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that's something I love kind of, being able to kind of take back to other communities that aren't as familiar. So uh, yeah, it's interesting when you talk about parents who are still, you know, they're like, "Well, I'm glad you're doing storyboards," but like they don't really know what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you do a storyboard, <laughs> yeah. are you drawing it? <laughs> yeah. Are you programming a computer to draw pictures for you? Which I get all the time, you know. And So it's just <laughs> it's.
3: Can you? Do I'd like topic, to be able to. Please?
1: Yeah. Right. Well, right. Oh, can you just draw for me? Because don't the computers make the cartoons for you now? So can't you just draw for me? Like, it's like funny oh, you work at how, how, right?
3: You you yeah. you're an animator, just always that. Like, oh yeah.
1: Ooh, yeah. And know- the,
0: oh gosh, I got the, I get the like. Uh, oh, I'm working on this thing. Like, do, can you uh, illustrate yeah. this story for me? And it's like I, I mean, I got a lot of. How much does an animation <laughs> <I> got- <laughs> cost?
1: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I can't like that. It, I literally got a call and also how often people are like, Hey, uh, I have this project. I need some animation. I'm like, okay, what do you really mean? And I'm like, Oh, so you really mean you a graphic designer? Like, mm,
0: <laughs> or, yeah. Or yeah. you need yeah. an
1: illustrator. And, um, and also like, you know, I, I like taking these moments to kind of educate people on like how your favorite shows are made, but it's just like interesting how wide of a, I feel so removed working in animation just in my general day to day experience because it is, I mean, where, how many people in the world actually make cartoons happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that, when you juxtapose it with people's understanding or what they think they know about how cartoons are made, I'm like, it, it, it's, it's, it's odd. I guess it's on my mind too, because I am back in my hometown and, you know, day to day, I have conversations in LA about what I do. And here it's just like, ah, it's just... That's not what we're going to talk about. (laughs) There's not a frame of reference that we share that would make this a productive conversation, unless I'm just educating you right now. So I'd imagine um,
3: it probably feels good to sort of turn that off for a little bit, so you're not necessarily thinking about work. Because something for me I've noticed, like being out here, is that like when you're with industry people, you tend to just talk about the industry things and Mm -hmm. just about like the cartoons. When you're with someone who is not involved in those things, you you're like oh i don't have to talk about this it's kind of a right. breath of fresh air a little bit
0: right yeah i, yes. I have like a friend like recently who i it, i was talking to it was um my roommate's boyfriend and yeah. he's not in animation at all and yeah. i was kind of describing some of the stuff that i had, like had to do like the past week and then i realized like oh i don't talk a too- lot. <laughs> A lot of people that are outside of... I was like, oh, wow, this is... I feel like this is the first time I had to do this in a while. Right. I'm like, oh, wow. this is, uh, And also, like, it felt good to be able to, like, turn down... Like, we hadn't talked about, like, animation stuff at all. So when I actually was thought like, oh, this is what I do, I'm like, oh, oh, snap. Yeah. Like,
1: it felt weird to not be in that mindset. Yeah. yeah. And have to talk about it in, like, different terms, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I say an X sheet, which I mean, not people, but even an animatic, that means something very yeah. different. Yeah. To even filmmakers that I work with. So, yeah, I I, I totally feel that.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. I.
3: uh, I'm going to let you go away because I've had a lot of questions.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you're. <laughs> my my I have a question where um, it might be like a little personal. So, like, I mean, uh, I guess. If you don't feel like answering it don't answer but i'll ask it anyway <laughs> so I
1: violently angrily
0: reject your
2: question
1: <laughs> how dare you
0: so when you uh first entered this uh space of being in on the executive level and being one of maybe uh, i think you said two uh black people in this space what was that like? Like, was it kind of like as soon as you enter this space, you kind of, I mean, you definitely, you, you always have that like, all right, there's another, <laughs> there is another like yeah. me in the room. Yeah, like a Spider-Man like, meme when yeah, you're exactly. like each other like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, how, how did you feel about entering that space? And um, yeah, I guess that's it how do you how did you feel about entering that space was it easy to be like hey like we we got each other's backs right or was it like totally different
3: also Um, yeah because we haven't mentioned this um because neil you told us what your title is but i believe that what your title the job that you have is something that i believe most of our listeners might not know what that exactly is and that that is a job available to them so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. if you can explain that as well like what a current series uh executive coordinator person is for a tv show (laughs) yes yeah that's
1: let me so i'll start with i'll start with kind of explaining what we do um Hmm. so current series in general um we are kind of the go-between between the network and the product the individual productions so I'm assigned a show. So right now, so I'll use the Casa Grande's, which is one of the shows I'm assigned. I have three I'm assigned to, but that's the only one that's actually on the air right now. Um, our job is to kind of know the ins and outs of what Nickelodeon as a network needs and expects out of their show. And we make sure that the show stays on track within those guidelines. So we're kind of, we're, we're the, the the network guys people complain about, kinda. Of. And that, like we'll and we're a bit of a hub with like standards and practices, legal music clearance, like everything kind of funnels through us and we kind of and we take that back to show and be like, hey guys, you know, this song we want to make this one more of a pop song here. Or even um in a script, we're like, hey, right now in the scripts, so we're like, we want to make sure we're not juxtaposing our characters, our male characters of color in particular, with law enforcement um themes, you know, and like there there's like it, we essentially the, the the analogy I like to use is that development are kind of like the nurses at the hospital who make sure that the bait, like the mother and the baby and the newborn are all safe and healthy, um, and once they're born and then I feel like current series is kind of the next step. We're kind of the nanny who makes sure that this child is raised into like a full formed good child, like a SpongeBob, you know, or a great show. Mm. So, um, our job is kind of keeping the show on track from that direction from the other direction. For, you know, the directors and the production itself, we're that resource if they have questions about like, hey, can we pull this gag off? Is this something that ne- that Nickelodeon will be okay with? So we kind of just keep everyone and we keep everything like Nickelodeon friendly and on message for Nickelodeon, basically. Yeah, that's involves, you know, we, you know, we, we get the first versions of scripts and we give notes on scripts. We give notes on the animatic pretty much every step of the way for, for the show we are giving our input and making sure nothing goes off the rails, you know? Yeah. That's, does that, does that, is that clear? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I think that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do. Um, I have. Part one. Yeah. (laughs) Part one. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. And so to the next question, like what was it like coming to the space? I was very aware um, that I was uh, one of, the few black, one of the two black execs in, the, in that space. I tried to really focus on what it is I, what I needed to do for this job. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time, you know, focusing on the learning curve. I do know the reason that I, that I drew, that people turned their attention to me for this role was my background in like the diversity and inclusion work I'd done at Nickelodeon, even at DreamWorks. And I've been very involved like the employee resource groups, I'd been chair of some committees. I'd worked on uh, some interstudio, like uh, like the inter-studio, interstudio LGBT mixer, for example. I was on the chair committee for that, and so I kind of had a little bit of a reputation for being the DNI guy, and mm-hmm. that was a sensibility they were looking for within this and within current series, just somebody who did have an eye on, like, hey, this Mother's Day post probably should have a little more diversity on it, you know? So well,
3: that's that very was important what, to have, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. And, um, and it's not that there was, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, actually the woman who brought me into who, uh, to this role, she actually has a, a similar background and was just kind of looking for someone else to kind of back that up. And then, you know, the rest of the team I'd worked with them before in various capacities in production in the past. So they, they kind of knew of me as well. So when I came on board, like I was very much welcomed by the entire team for what I was bringing in that regard. And then I did have that one-on-one with Kelly, who was our, who's one of the VPs at Nick. And we talked, and she talked about, you know, what it was like being a black woman uh, working in exec, at the executive level at Nickelodeon and everything from challenges she faced to places where she found support. I was just very aware of that. And I, I, and now kind of fast forward to now, I feel like my voice is respected in a way in rooms that I've never felt before. And I do feel like I'm able to bring my black part, the black part of myself to work. And it's not a surprise. I'm like, well, actually let's not have this character, you know, um, let's not imply this character's uncle's in jail, you know, and it just, and, and little things like that, that people aren't necessarily aware of or paying attention to. I, have been proud of what I've been able to bring in terms of that sensibility and that attention within the the uh, creative space. So,
0: yeah, yeah, oh, awesome. I think that's really cool because I feel like there, when when you're uh, a black professional working in animation, there's a tendency to want to like you know comply and fit in with the culture of the studio or in the environment that's- that you're working in. Um, mm-hmm. And that sometimes entails a person to have to just, I, I guess, mute down or like turn off air quotes their their blackness, right? Which can feel you
3: have to assimilate in order to feel comfortable, right? Because yeah, because you may be the only one, or so you don't feel othered. Where yes. yeah, like you, like you, you have to quote unquote turn it down and not speak up as much. Or if you do speak up, you aren't necessarily fully supported. But people in like having more Black folks in your position, in positions like yours and Mm -hmm. higher Neil at that like executive level is like super important.
2: Mm -hmm. And a lot of
3: studios don't have that. And that's a really like that's something that needs to be
1: fixed. Yeah. I mean, I 100 I mean, we've we've talked about it and I think that is. To me, that is was my motivation to be, become a part of Black and Animated and continues to be my motivation. It's like we, it is, and I like that now in this moment in time, you know, we are finally having conversations that are really, really getting to the meat of this and people are paying attention and be like, okay, mm-hmm. we do have a problem. We do need more representative, Black representation at I at every level, but very much in these management and executive levels and how lacking it is and how systemically problematic that is. Um, and, you know, and it's, and essentially, cause like, you know, I still kind of, you know, had to watch my P's and Q's and play ball. And there are parts yes. of myself I did, did and do have to turn it off walking into that room because, you know, how, how do you make sure your voice is heard? How do I make sure that I'm not shrinking? How am I still making sure, you know, aware of the fact that I am still learning this skill? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm still learning and having to take a backseat in a lot of ways as I build my sensibility as the creative executive. And um, it's there's a lot you're kind of, and we've, we've all talked about it. we've all been through it. There's all these kind of like mental and spiritual gymnastics you're going through just to be black at work without consequence, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um,
3: and this is like across uh, cross industry, whether it's an animation, the general yeah. populace of entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, poster yeah. workers like my mother have to play the yes. same games too. Like it's,
1: it's yeah. crazy. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a teacher in, uh, in uh, inner city in DC. And he was saying, he's mm-hmm. like, what I don't do. He's like, I don't make my kids code switch. They don't, he's like, I don't play that. They don't, I don't make them code switch class. I ask them a question and they might answer with a bunch of, well, you know, I don't, hopefully I, can I cuss? <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, just think, so, I mean, he, 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 the example he gave is like he was asking a history question and this kid actually answer. He's like, yeah, well, you know, the fucking motherfuckers over here dah, 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 dah. <laughs> and he goes through it and, but he's like, So it didn't sound as, the sound wasn't socially acceptable, right? But he's like, this Mm -hmm. kid answered the question correctly. And so he's getting my history lesson. So he's like, by me sitting here and saying, like, actually, you can't say that. You can't talk, you can't explain this with cuss words, or you can't explain this in the language that you speak. Well, what does that say to, what's that say? It's like, all of a sudden, your language is acceptable and your language is valid. The way you talk is not valid. So even though you have this knowledge and that you've gotten the point of this education, Because of how you speak, is not the way you speak is not acceptable. Like all the layers of all the layers and of impact that that has. Well, wow! I don't talk good. Well, then I'm not smart. Well, then I'm not acceptable. Then I can't get that job. I'm not going to hope for this successful position. There's so many things that fall out from that. So you know, when I I say that, those like kind of mental gymnastics. Like I, I like that we're getting to a space where people like, hey, there is a there is a culture. There's a black culture that has been that has been ignored and not heard. And we now have to pay attention to like the nuances and what all that entails. And now people are going to start understanding that when I come into work every day, how much, frankly, anxiety is involved with me just to maintain that position and maintain what reputation I have and what respect I have. So I think being in the room is very, you know, it's been, it's very important, but now we do need to take that next next step of understanding what it means for me to be in the room and how I'm being treated when I'm in that room too.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, one hundred percent. And it's just—I—I I think I've said it like over and over again so many times these past couple of weeks. Um, it is like you said, like wonderful. That these conversations are happening, and it's time to actually like not to stop just talking, like to actually do something. It just—it, I guess I'm just still overly bummed out that it took this for it to happen it took black trauma and black suffering for it to happen and it's not like it's it's not new like the three of us know this a hundred percent but it took like public black trauma on t on national television repeatedly shown over and over and over again for it's for like something to happen and i guess I, i don't know like i think about back in the during the civil rights movement where like i guess a lot of white people were like well it's not that bad but it wasn't until like they saw the broad some of those people who yes. became allies saw the broadcasted uh like marches where black folks were getting like you know getting mm-hmm. the water hoses and like the dogs put on them like I, yeah. I get it but i'm just like i'm tired of that you know
1: yeah i have like yeah like
3: black trauma and black suffering it's just like i'm preaching the choir i'm just tired (laughs) yeah
0: no yeah yeah i i uh, of course can relate and do relate (laughs) it is it's exhausting and it's kind of it's it's flabbergasting because it's kind of it's like we we see these these public like moments or videos things that are posted online in the news even too of like uh, just the brutality against black people. And it's like, it's not something that's, it's not something that's new. This like has been happening. And yes, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it It's overwhelming to all at once. Finally have a sort of like spa, like like this, th- there has been a spotlight like, like back in 2015 when black lives matter first uh, became like a campaign. But this type of focus and this type of like outcry and uh, this type of support uh, hadn't really happened in a very long time. So it feels so like it it feels so significant and overwhelming and exhausting. Yeah. Um, But it's, I mean, I, it's good that the result is happening. But as Bree said, it's it sucks that uh, the black trauma has to happen for this type of result to occur. I guess uh. that's
3: the case with anything, like yeah, I was gonna a, say it. a huge a <laughs> well, huge yeah. disaster or or big big cataclysmic thing has to happen before people take action on things. Yeah, I was gonna I mean, say like some large we're, we're, st- really we're still we're still debating <laughs> the, people are still debating yeah. about whether or not global warming is a real thing. And I right? and I yeah. think it's gonna take the literal sun to explode or something stupid. Well, I mean yeah. that that'll help happen later, but that's not what yeah. like global warming <laughs> yeah. is a thing. <laughs> I mean <laughs> like I, see it. Yeah. I, I don't right. know. It's gonna take like all of the ozone changes, to be gone right before people yes. are like, oh, that is a real thing. And it's like Bitch, we were telling you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's what's interesting about this and like because you are one, y'all are like on it. What's interesting about this is that so our, how should I say this? Being black in America is traumatic. And now people are becoming aware of that trauma, but only because we, I tell people like every video that I saw since 2012 or whatever, since we've been seeing these cell phone videos, every single video was another reminder and compounded the compounded that feeling in me of how little my life is valued by this country. Every single mm-hmm. video is a reminder of that up into, up to, you know, this latest case in anyway, I want to get into that. It, it's like every day. So even now I'm not, tr- I don't trust I I don't trust America, particularly white America to handle this in the a sensitive, in the way that I want to, in mm-hmm. that, that I think it needs to be handled. and. On top of that, so now what's so twisted about the white supremacy that has borne all of this is that not only did it traumatize us throughout the history of America, but now for us to get through it, we have to relive these traumas in order to remedy the the effects of them. So now we're being traumatized again. And for us to remedy it and be a part of this remedy, we have to relive this Mm. to make sure that it's handled in a way that doesn't further traumatize us it's very twi- it's it's twisted in that, but that's how twisted that's what this system has done because it tried so hard to dehumanize us and tear us apart so we now have this 400 years of inertia historically that we have to untangle and to do it is so painful and mm-hmm. and frank you know i kind of joke when i'm like mostly serious i'm like okay i'm glad you all paying attention now so now like let black so what i need y'all to do number one is send all black people on vacation for the next few months while y'all figure this out. <laughs> let us all, okay. Let, let us all go to all expenses paid, pay for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then figure it out. Number two, honestly figure out. And when I say that, I don't need you know, I appreciate your eight minute, 46 second commercial. I appreciate the statements. I appreciate that. But I mean, you are also the same people that three months ago I was complaining about because you talked me, talked me down in a meeting. Or mm. you didn't respect what I said because you don't take me as seriously because I'm black and may not be aware of it. I need mm. you to stop and analyze your behavior and what role you played in it and not get stuck in the guilt. Okay. Be, be like, okay, hey, I did these things. Right. You know, apologize where you knew to apologize, but also dig into the history. I need all of you to look at the history of policing. I need you to listen to, I will go and say, listen, I need y'all to watch 13th and pay attention. I need you all to read the 13th Amendment and understand what it says and, and understand that there is a loophole in the 13th Amendment that allows for slavery in the case of punishment for a crime, which is why our prison system. I need you all to go read that history because I'm not doing that for you right now. I mm-hmm. need you all to understand the history, and that's why that hurt, why all this hurts so much. I need you to analyze your behavior, and I need you to to look at what, what you can do in your life to be anti-racist. That's what I need from you. And I don't know that there's a company program, I don't know there's a commercial or any campaign that will do that for you, but I need you to do that and then come back to me and we can have a conversation. That's yeah. what the perfect solution would be to me. Right now, I'm, I am trying to work through the trauma of, of all this attention we are getting, mm-hmm. you know? And whether that's people asking me how I'm doing or how I feel about it or what they can do, that is all hurt, that's all hurting me still. And I want us to get out of that. And I don't know what getting out of that looks like. But what I do need are, are is for people to really understand the trauma that Black America has felt, and then we can all move forward and, and and understand that that is all of our history and that it has traumatized all of us. But I need you all to understand why the pain is so deep for Black people and how we can move forward and not let it happen again. So <laughs> that that's kind of where my head is. And it may yes. sound probably sounds a little harsh to people but like right now i don't trust white america or white mainstream america to handle this well because it's all reactionary right now and i'm like i need y'all to to dig back and get why and understand where i'm feeling and how i'm feeling right now that way Mm. so yeah
0: yes
3: amen I i think what you said was all like it hit the nail on the head like it's it's about more than just making a tweet making a statement donating some money like you have to actually put in the work like just tweeting or donating money isn't necessarily putting in the work that's doing something in the moment yeah and you have to go beyond that and even in our workplaces like that sure hire sure hire black people but make sure that they actually stay in those jobs and that they can climb the ladder and succeed and keep that retention don't just bring them in and be like okay bye we did it you know
1: Mm yes yes yeah, and and the thing is, like, the test will be in in six months. What's the conversation going to be? And in five years, what's the conversation? What's the situation going to look like? That's you know, and that to me, that's what what I'm looking at. And um, you know, and like it's it's in you know because another thing I was thinking about is like, okay, what is next? What do you know? Now we do have all this attention, and we probably will get some policies changed, and some we'll see an uptick in in black talent. These are my hopes, but. Is that, is that the fix? Is that what we know when we've the end of the road? And like, is there an, you know, what, what does that mean? And right. also like, you know, we've, we started also, where we've pulled a thread that runs very, very deep. So there are so many other levels, you know, even just in animation, if we are really looking at bringing more Black talent, and then we have start looking at like, well, what's happening in our recruiting world? What's happening right. in our, you know, maintaining that talent? Um, there's a, there's just a much bigger picture that goes much, much deeper than what we're seeing now. It's also very early. So, right, yeah. you know, I'm giving, you know, I'm like, I'm also like, okay, like, I don't expect things to happen overnight, but like, I just, I'm not sold yet. And I don't feel like everything is genuine that's coming from these kind of like larger institutions because I don't have that trust that people are really, really understanding what needs to happen. So TBD, y'all.
0: Yeah, TBD. (laughs) Yeah, one of my biggest worries is that after things have calmed down a bit, people are just going to forget and or like stop with like supports in like things like donations and, and slink back into the life as we have previously known it prior to like this, these protests and the, the revolution. Yes. But yeah, that's just, that's my worry. And that's just how yeah. it's always kind of happened. Yes. Even with, with other things that are like big issues in America, like gun control <laughs> or like, yes, uh, just, uh, I mean, not to like steer away from into other political like things, but yeah, there's just like other, there's just so many problems that w- we have m- been made mm-hmm. aware of because of how like connected we are with like social, like uh, the internet and uh, the news yes. and stuff like that. And it's just like, all right, look at this like huge hole in this wall. We have to like um, start m- making sure that we put like uh, like re-cement this wall so there's not a, a glaring hole in our society and yes. people are kind of like, "All right, cool. Let's like get some bricks and start building and stuff. And uh, maybe a wall's not the best <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> analogy. Let's say spill no, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. going to say spell, you understand though. what I'm saying. I'm not saying to build a wall. <laughs> yes. I'm saying let's bridge. say let's bridge. say bridge. Spe- we're building a bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bridge. Oh, that's oh yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got you. I got your way. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, there's like we yeah. We're trying to get to the other side where it it's just like a little better for our society and we're yes. like all right cool let's start collecting bricks to build this bridge and then suddenly we're like you know what like actually i'm kind of tired uh yeah. let's uh, let's do something else and just go do something else for years and not touch yes. that bridge again
1: i mean you, you know living off the like I, I joke none of my jokes really jokes but <laughs> I, I joke that you know we live by these news cycles and i'm i'm you know i mean covid was the news cycle for the first half of this, and then it did. You know, it's it's kind of now everyone's talking about Black Lives Matters, but it doesn't mean COVID's gone away, right? Mm-hmm. And while I will say something in terms of like how I've been involved in the movement so far, it has felt very different. It has felt like people are really owning this in a very different way. Mm-hmm. We're seeing leadership, and I will I do think it's significant to state that the leadership is very. This is a very much a youth led kind of movement we're seeing there are a lot of kind of veteran activists who are definitely involved and right you know obviously older members from various groups involved but i'm seeing so much leadership coming out of young and like high schoolers organizing these massive marches and and when i've been there the people i'm engaging with you know i'm engaging with probably pretty well off white women from Pasadena who are over here shouting black lives matters. And then on top of that, in our conversation are actually understanding these concepts that I'm like, Whoa, I never expected to hear white fragility past the lips of uh, this, you know, 70 year old white girl that I just met in the street. Um, you K-pop know,
3: stands it, and zoomers buying up my, the Trump tickets. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, my God, That's
1: awesome. It's, it's yeah. And so there's this, it's, and to me, like that shows an understanding that is deeper and more that people are, are are internalizing much more than I've seen in like, whether it was 2015 or 2013. And like I mean, we can go down like every year, basically. But you know, the fact that and, you know, this is kind of double-edged sword because it's also part of my distrust is that, like, I, I see you all now, but where were you in 2013? Where were you in 2015? Where right. were you with the first time I can't breathe became a, a hashtag, right? right? And, and, there's, and I think maybe that's part of me being petty. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I see you now, but you wasn't here, you know? But mm-hmm. it, it's, I mean, there's just all these, I mean, on a tangent, there's all these emotions that any one of us are feeling because it's like, Can I trust what looks like an amazing thing happened? You know, do I trust this? Or, you know, are people going to show up? Are people actually going to show up for the black community when, uh, you know, uh, there have been, we've been talking about police brutality sidebar. A lot of these, the race riots, quote unquote, of the early 20th century were actually responses to police actions and police brutality. So Mm -hmm. 1917, I'm sorry, 1919, Chicago, 1921, Tulsa, 19. uh, 37 Philadelphia. Like when you go through these big known, quote unquote, race riots, because they're really massacres and attacks and terrorist terrorist attacks on the black community, mm-hmm. Um, police brutality was at the root of so many of these things. So for, for me, I'm like, we have literally, literally been talking about this and fighting this and dealing with this exact thing for being generous at least the 20th century. So yeah. are you guys actually going to follow through this time? You know, we had the civil rights movement and like, you know, so much progress was made there. And yet here we are. So I'm right. like, I have this as, even though it feels different and this, I'm very excited and very grateful for a lot of the progress that we've seen and the changes we've seen. I'm like, again, if we're in, in December. I'll do that. I, I plan to do it, let, let's do a health check in December, you know, let's yeah. check our polls in 2000, mm-hmm. in 2024. Right. Um, but you know this is not to discourage people i am hopeful but it's not to i i, I just i'm I, what i'm saying is like i need y'all to follow through and i don't know that you will do that yet so prove me wrong prove mm-hmm. that i'm i'm putting my faith in the right thing
3: and I, I feel like people honestly too can't really like if you think about the the deep-rooted history i feel like non-black folks can't really be mad at at black people that are like like you said neil grateful for what's going on like with the allyship but also kind of like just trying to be like make sure you you know like i hope make sure you keep up with this i don't want to see you like backtracking in like three months because like you look at everything that has happened to the black community um over the years from slavery to like to 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 literally like dropping cocaine into like black neighborhoods to the literal like just injection of syphilis into black men like like come on like it's like there's been a lot of stuff that has been purposefully done by the by like who we're supposed to believe is to protect and serve Mm -hmm. us to the black community so Mm -hmm. it's like and kind of tying it back to animation a bit because I know that we're going off, yes. but I mean it is an important conversation to have uh, because of best. what's going yes. on. This is
0: the Copaganda podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but still, Touché. like yes.
3: in in our workplaces, it's like we need you to follow through. Mm-hmm.
1: You can't yes. just
3: be. It's it's not just the trend for your company right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you nailed it, and it can't and. We are saying this to y'all, like studios. Listen, like this is what this is the conversation, you know. And that's exactly what I, I and I say. Like that, it should be a conversation. Yeah. Like right now, yeah. that it's not adapt. an
3: attack on anyone. It's literally, yeah. I want to sit down and talk to you and tell you yeah. how I've been feeling as a black employee of your studio, and yes. how I look around the room and I, you talk about diversity and inclusion, but I do not feel like you are actually being. Um, genuine about it or following through on that so can we please yes. just you know talk about this i want to talk yeah. i am and not an angry black woman i am not an angry black man i am a professional that works for your institution and would like to represent your institution and say that it is a great place to work for all yes. all colors and creeds but i need it to actually be that so let's talk about it
1: <laughs> yes and we should see the will too and it's like I'm also in that space too. It's like my work is being black. I've done the work. Okay. I, I you know, and 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 that's why when we talk about being tired. And it's not that I'm gonna shut up and not say anything to you. Right now I am exhausted and Protect there your are mental plenty. Health. Yeah, there are plenty of resources. I, I tell I tell it's a fake hashtag I make up but it's very real. Books and links. What can I do to help out? Books and links. Google that question that you just asked. You know, what can I do to support the black community? Where can I donate? Things like that. Especially now, Google it, put in a hashtag, put in the Black Lives Matter hashtag on in in uh, Instagram and you will get everybody's linking to books and resources and things like that. Like mm-hmm. You have to put in some work for it, you know, right. and like compare that to the fact what you're putting work on, you're putting work in against white supremacy. That is a very harmful, dangerous element of our society. So that's, that is fighting when you educate yourself and there are so many ways to do it right now. When you educate yourself, that is fighting It is That is that first step to anti-racism, which is what we need. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To reinforce
0: what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, just like, I I feel like people, uh, can have like a impulsive, I think that's the word impulsive, like react, be reactionary to like certain things like, uh, to what they're viewing and like, Kind of like know in their heart how they're feeling uh whether it is like um like oh for in support or like against something but i i urge you to as neil said to look into resources to have more of an understanding of like maybe why you feel this way or like um why uh, where uh, black people are coming from And yeah, because I mean, it's good to be Mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is bad. Also like, why is this bad? (laughs) You know? Right. It's obvious, but it's also like there's historical context and like um, societal context and other things that, uh, that can be understood.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and also, and there's, and I also, uh, to piggyback on that, there is a lot, y'all. There is a lot. Like when you, I mean, just understanding white privilege, that's something that I really tell people is like, do do your reading on white privilege. And mm-hmm. and for a long time, what I've said is like we have had enough talk about racism. We've had enough talk about diversity. And when I say that we we in all these talks, we're talking around the issue, and the real issue is white privilege
2: mm-hmm. and
1: white privilege and white supremacy. When we get into it, and mm-hmm. we've and it's like those words are absolutely scary for people to talk about in mm-hmm. the public discourse. We're starting to get it now, but to me, that's the real issue that we're talking about when it comes to racism. The racism is a function of white supremacy. Um, and then that privilege that I will just say, and again, I don't, I, this is going to scare a lot of people and seems to upset a lot of people. If you are white, you have white privilege and that's not a matter. And whether, you know, if you grew up poor or you didn't have, you had a tough life, that's not what, that's not the privilege we're talking about, you right. know? And so, and, and I say that, cause I just had a conversation with a guy and like, I was saying, I was like, yes, well, you know, with your white privilege, she's like, I don't have white privilege. I grew up really poor. And da, da, da. I was like, okay, I know, but that's not what... You weren't poor because of the color of your skin. That is mm-hmm. white privilege. You know, mm-hmm. you weren't denied opportunities because of the color of your skin. That is the white privilege. You now work and you... He does this high-end luxury stuff with all these celebrities. And I'm like, I just know that the way you got into... And I know, I just know him well enough. I know that there are moments that you have told me about in your life that would not have happened for me because that's not a door that opens for black men typically in America, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and so it's just like, understanding white privilege and that one, I mean, white privilege alone is so difficult to understand because it, it seeps into every aspect of life in such weird insidious ways. And so when people ask what is white privilege, like, well, there's, there's 10 or 11 different things that that, it, that will depend on what life you're living that mm-hmm. I can tell you about. So I, I really, you know, that's, I really want people, like I said, when I say do work, that is work, do the work, read up on it, educate yourself, reflect on it and understand where you fit into that equation and think about like how you can make it better. It's not right. going to be easy. It's not going to be quick. It's going to be hard and it's going to be challenging, but I need you to do that because I've been doing that my whole life. Just so I survive. Even, you know, I was telling people, and I was joking about it, I was telling it as a humorous story, but I just drove for two days from California to Oklahoma. And, you know, they say don't keep anything in your backseat because you know, you don't wanna give police a reason to to search you. But what I did keep in the backseat, I kept a giant clipboard with with some of my artwork on it. And I have these dolls that I keep in that I do keep in my car. With the understanding, I'm like, well, if they think I'm a father of, ch- of young children, maybe that'll earn me some sympathy. Mm. If they mm. think I'm an artist, maybe that'll earn me some sympathy. And I had like a pillow in the back. You know, in d- these little things, I'm just like, and then also the fact that I almost didn't take the trip. So I'm like, I'm about to spend 20 hours on the road as a black man driving through Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, very remote parts of these states. And I was like, is this smart? Um, right. And so it's just, and there's all these things I think about. I'm like, man, like, do my white friends think about this? And they want to take a road trip. Probably <laughs> you not. Know? And, you know, and how easy like, oh my God, I took this road. I did a cross country trip by myself. Like the idea of doing a cross country trip by myself right now is just like immediate anxiety, you know, mm. to say it to be to at best. And so um, that's white privilege, y'all. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, that's like, to not think about that is white privilege. And And it sucks that that's something that I have to. to, to, It sucks that like, it sucks. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you got it it seeps into so many parts of life, and there's so another example I'll give you. I do not like Christmas music, and (laughs) people like people always wonder why it's like. And I will be mostly. I don't. I tend not to like Christmas standards, and Mm -hmm. I also tend to not like a lot of films from like mid black and white films that people think are classic. It's a Wonderful Life and
3: stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. That one. It's a wonderful life specifically because I watched this movie, and all I, even when I was a kid, because of like just my relationship with my family, all I could think about was that like man, my grandfather was not allowed to like if it was not probably couldn't go see this movie. Like all these movies do remind me of a time of of horrible brutal treatment of my family members. That's mm-hmm. what I see. That's what I hear when I hear "White Christmas" sung by I don't know whatever you know. It's just I hear these things and like they that's that is. And it sucks. It's like Christmas music is beautiful and wonderful, and like it should be great. But I—that's what I think of, and that is mm-hmm. my own personal black trauma from being in America. But that's why when people like make suggestions for simple things of like listening to Christmas music, it, it triggers me. Mm-hmm. And and so it, again, it's just like little things like that. That is part of white privilege. That's part of white supremacy. That's part of the what that—that's part of the damage that has been done because of racism and white supremacy. Yeah um and yeah
0: not even we haven't even touched on like the intersectionality of it all too. <laughs> oh, my god, like, uh, that's, oh.
3: yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole other. Oh, See, but it, but it goes, it goes <laughs> so deep, but I think <laughs> we should sort of like pull back to animation a little bit because yes, we are okay. getting- Oh, yes, crazy. yes, yes, getting, yes, of course. We yes. are getting close, <laughs> too, <laughs> we are, we're we're close to our time. And animated? Okay, <laughs> say, yes. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. want to not have these conversations because they're very yeah. relevant to like our day-to-day yes. in the workplace, a hundred percent. Yes, um, absolutely. But I do want to ask Neil is that like you know because of the position that you are in, does it feel like you have a sort of pressure? I suppose because you are in the executive department. Like, do you feel like you have to stay there and like uplift as many black voices as you can? Not not that you wouldn't, but does it feel like there is a pressure on you, especially because like Mm -hmm. um, because we know that you eventually want to transition to an art role. Do you feel like that would hinder your ability to do those things you know like just I don't know that was like a long-winded
1: question no that's a question that I yes I do struggle with it I know that I am an artist I will always make artwork I will always be creating artwork and you know I you know how how does that factor into my professional goals I struggle with it what's Mm -hmm. interesting like I do consider Diversity, inclusion, fairness, getting, um, you know, all that is very uh, community building, um, all the things that black and animated is. Those are my passions as well. You know, um, activism, like these are things that I'm very passionate about. And right now in this role, I'm able to like indulge that passion. And so to me, it's like um, I'm very much doing something that I really enjoy. And but so, yes, so that's, to answer that part of the question, yes, I, I like I enjoy being in the position I am. There is huge pressure, and a lot of it is what I put on myself. And um, not to stray away too much, but my friend and I were talking about this also. There is this, for a lot of black professionals, there's the idea we have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Like, that's, that's, that's part of our, our, at least, mental DNA. So I, for example, I second guess myself all the time. I feel like I'm not working hard enough. I always feel like I am not working hard enough, that I'm not doing enough, that, you know, I'm not behind, or I'm not learning quick enough. Those are things that are constantly in my mind. And on top of that, I do realize, you know, that pressure you talk about, I'm like, whoa, wait, I'm one of the first black execs in this space in such a long time. I can't possibly leave this, at least not right now. I've got to do X, Y, and Z. I have to make sure I'm senior. I have to hold this space or there's going to be one less like that. That's always there. And I have to kind of, I have to balance it out because I think there are parts of it that are, that do Lend to positive motivation. But, you know, there's those times in the meeting where I'm like, oh my gosh, should I say this thing? Like, is it, you know, if I say this as the black guy in the room, am I going to be heard? Is it going to have the impact? Um, Is it going to make me look like an angry black guy? Is it going to make me like a stupid black guy? Like there's all these things where I'm like, I'm constantly monitoring and managing my voice. And, um, and so that there, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, there's a pressure there. I feel like I, I, there's, I have a responsibility to our community and to a lot of black like voices that haven't been in the room. I, I feel that a lot. And it's just it is a, an issue of kind of managing that and also be bringing it back to, OK, Neil, you and at least in this space, if I sit in this meeting room right now at Nickelodeon, I need to make sure I'm doing the job and turning off what doesn't serve that goal is part of the pressure. But that is kind of how I get through it, too, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so yes, there is pressure, but I also feel like I I expected that that comes with this uh, territory and also in the larger scheme of things, you know, as we navigate this, this, you know, bring navigate how to be more inclusive and address all these issues, it's going to be awkward and hard and difficult from all different directions. So to me, I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of what I've signed up for at this point and hold that torch until circumstances dictate or necessitate a, a pivot of some sort or course correction, mm-hmm. so yeah.
0: Well, I feel like <laughs> we are nearing the end of the defund the police podcast. <laughs> <laughs> defund the compaganda. Uh, yeah, defund That's copaganda. Sure, guys.
3: Defund the defund the cop of Paw Patrols utopia gander.
0: <laughs> 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 um dude, uh... keep
1: watching Paw Patrol guys. No,
0: <laughs> 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 or you could
3: um,
1: or you could watch puppy dog pals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are no cops <laughs> in puppy dog pals. Just saying. Um, I'm watching for the side eye from all my preschool, my preschool colleagues. But yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. only
3: saying puppy yeah. dog because I used to work for the studio that actually makes yeah. job, Like, Paw Patrol is the enemy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. Wow! See what's going on here. Oh snap! Whoa! There are there are daggers being fl- flung. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but <D-S1>, who? <laughs> but um uh Bree, yeah. did you have any like last minute questions before i ask my um ending of podcast question
3: um the only thing that i was kind of wondering Neil, is that um career-wise for um folks that are trying to get into animation that like see themselves as cool executive people whether they want to be an ep or an ea just to start or just in the in the like, you know, department that you're currently in, what does that path look like? Because it seems like the path to getting to the executive level is very much unknown to people. People just know be a PA and then you can be a line producer or you can just switch over to art. But to get to that executive department that you're in, I feel like um, a lot of black folks that want that opportunity to get to that to get in that area don't necessarily
1: know, the know correct path or... yeah
3: know the correct path
1: yeah well uh, it is admittedly nebulous <laughs> mm-hmm. um i think um even when i was coming into it, it you know i had an understanding a general understanding but now that i'm doing it, i'm like oh there's a lot of just little nuances and kind of things to pay attention to that uh, that i wouldn't have expected so um i would say first and foremost when you get into a new space and you're kind of doing your, you know, whether you're an intern or new to a job and you start doing information. Well, number one, make sure you're doing informationals. Talk to people who are at the company and find out about their experience, find out about what it's like working there. Find out, find out, uh, just, you know, do a general informational specifically for and I say that to say that a lot of people do that, but they tend to get into production and then they start asking about a about of production people and producers and they do all the informationals there, but they don't necessarily reach out to the executive and management kind of roles there. And, and I understand why I say do that. So find, you know, get a big, understand the big picture of all the departments at your business, at your studio, for example, no, like some places, animated series, like animated series and development are actually combined into one in some places they work under different names in some places um development kind of handles all of it so there is no necessarily animated current series but development kind of covers those tracks or whatever so first of all find out exactly what all is happening get an idea of the big picture and find and and learn about these other departments that may not be you know most immediately accessible or visible once you do that reach out and make sure you get informational with the VPs of those of those programs or some, or VPs and coordinators, actually, just anybody you can and learn what the ins and outs of that are. And I say that because that's something I did not do. Like for years and years, I worked in animation and wasn't totally clear on what it meant to say I'm in development. I knew that they developed projects, but now I'm like, oh, development does this, development's reaching out this, development's kind of facilitating all these other things that aren't purely just sitting and like making an idea of, you know, developing an idea. So get in and find out what these other kind of lesser spoken about departments are. And then once you figure out what of those you want to do, if it is development, if it is animated current series, make it known that you're interested. Let them know it's like, this is something I want to do. Find out what skills they look for. So I will say in current series with I'm, I read a lot of scripts. We read a lot of spec scripts. I do a lot of coverage. We are, um, re- you know, we're reviewing, when we get names of new writers, we're reading their work and kind of evaluating, are they a good fit for Nickelodeon? Are they a good fit for this kind of show? Or is, or, you know, are you know, would they be a good fit on a show that they're not necessarily applying for? So really understanding, yeah, really understanding how to tell a story is really key for current series and development. Really understanding how to tell a story visually is, is important. Um, I tell people, and this was what I was told, read story by Robert McKee, and know what makes a good episode, what makes a good character, really understanding the DNA of making good content is pretty key to what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So in a nutshell, I'd say, you know, it's once you're in, I mean, I think production is a great place to come from for jumping over to executive because understanding the pipeline of the production pipeline has been so important for me to say, okay, if I'm giving a note on an animatic, I'm aware of what can and can't be changed at that point. By the time it gets to animatic, I shouldn't be giving a whole lot of story notes, for example. By then, we should have the general story worked out. An animatic note, my set of notes should really be focusing on, like, how is this playing on screen? So just to, to bring it back and answer your question, you know, make your, you know, get the information, do your research, um, see if you, that's what you want to do. And then once you make it, you, you see what you want to do, make it known to the people in that space that that is your intention and that that is your goal. And they will reach back. That's what happened with me. Like Mm -hmm. the people who run this department, once my name was in the hat, like they all reached back. They, they knew my work. They knew what I was capable of. They knew what I did and they, they were my cheerleaders to get me into this position. So um, I hope that's helpful. Like again, it's kind of nebulous because of, the nature of the work, but really understanding what it takes to make animation and make animation at your studio is kind of what I think is key to know in this position. For me. Mm.
3: Great.
1: I'm long-winded with all of my answers. So. No, no that, that was all really good
3: information. Yeah. I also yeah, think you kind of cool. answered the question that's supposed to come after Ways' question. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I-
0: <laughs> like <laughs> you kind of a little uh-huh. bit answered this, but I mean, throughout this podcast, you did, but. I'll ask it anyway. Um, Yes. What is the type of storytelling or animation or stories you wish to see more of told in animation, whether it be TV featured,
1: games? I would really like to see us dig into the nuances of our culture. Um, And how should I say? I, I think whether we're talking about, you know, communities, just marginalized communities in general. I really think we should get to a space where we're talking about, well, intersectionality, for, first of all, but, you know, when you have, yes, we have, care, we're getting diverse characters, but the Casa Grande is, they lean very deeply into Mexican culture and that really colors the storytelling and what type of stories you're telling. I think that is kind of the gateway that we should be doing now with and with, with, with all kinds of our populations because that, that's who our audience is. We have children who are disabled. We have children who are um i excuse me say say children that's our demographic, but when it comes to our audience, our audience is disabled. Our audience is multi- across the racial spectrum, whether they're across the queer spectrum. We have uh, our children in our demographic who are identifying as trans and non-binary and all these realms. and I think it is important that we are telling their stories in a in an authentic and genuine way and not hesitant about it like you know, the example I will say is like Casa Grande's came along and was made a big splash. But I'm like, OK, we, there should we should have an entire slate of shows that are exploring various cultures and are giving that attention to the culture that they're talking about. So I would just like to see more stories that will make that kid who is dealing with autism in so and so Indiana perk up and be like, hey, that kid's like me and they're dealing with these issues and can really relate, you know. So, yeah, I just really, and I think, you know, everyone's kind of saying that, but I think we need to be going above and beyond to make those stories ring true and be told in an authentic way and not have to have, you know, not worrying about a backlash or what people will or will not accept or what we think they will accept at this point. I just think we should be, be we should be very bold with our stories and not shy away from real world issues because we're all dealing with those real world issues. So, um, including our 6 to 11. So, yeah, bulge of stories that aren't afraid to really delve into culture and uh, and be authentic about it. Heck, yeah. <laughs> Get <laughs> on it, yeah. <laughs> And I can do a little bit of that, too. I'm, I'm doing my Heck, best, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so.
3: Well, and that's the show.
1: <laughs> that <funny>. No,
2: for real, <laughs> no, no,
3: no. That um thank you so much for coming on to the podcast like we we wanted to get you on here for a while and you know like covid happened well, i mean it was was happening but leadership made it worse certain yep. leaderships made mm. it worse and now yes. we're on lockdown um just yes. to uh, again time step the recording of this podcast based I mean, we already timestamped it with what we were talking about, but just to again, further (laughs) timestamp it. um, Yeah.
1: We're just
3: very happy that you dropped all that really good knowledge and just like, you know, we had a discussion about the importance of, you know, our, our allies following through and also just like what that looks like in the executive space with, working in animation and how yeah. that is how that like also affects like your day-to-day and what's going on as a black man in this industry and I don't know it was just really good and it makes me happy that those that want to pursue this like career and in the executive space like see you and know that like oh dang like I can do that too
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yes and I that means a lot to me because I'm a big believer in leading by example. And um, it's one reason I'm so loud about so many things that <laughs> so much of my identity and things and trying to be out there because I think I know that I growing up, I didn't see one reason I didn't pursue animation earlier or the arts earlier because I didn't see black artists, black professional artists. I didn't see black, you know, even an architecture. I saw so few black architects. And, um, you know, so for me, it's important that I get out there and that I'm allowed, queer black man you know and let people know and that i'm in it, the position i am and that i'm doing that uh, i think being that example is so important and i will say to you guys even before i met you black and animated i was like so excited to see there was a podcast that black mm-hmm. and animated and that what you all are doing is so so important and i guarantee has had an impact so much larger than what anyone has come back and told you you know just who knows how many people are listening. And there's that kid who's like, oh, there's black animators, there's black storyboards, storyboarding is this. And I was like, oh, well, that's something that sounds cool. And I'd like to do that. Like by giving someone that hope and that dream, that's just one example of what kind of effect you guys have definitely had. And I'm so grateful you're here. I'm honored to be on the show. Like low key, I've wanted to be on the show since, again, since before I met you guys. (laughs) I gotta get get on that walk. I gotta get on there. So (laughs) This is wonderful for me, and I am so grateful to for all... First of all, you guys on the podcast, but in the work that you guys are doing beyond that, just you are phenomenal, phenomenal people doing amazing work, and I'm so you glad too. I've been able to be a part of this. Well, yes, yes, Neil, you. you too. But I'm talking <laughs> about you. This episode is about you, not us.
0: <laughs> Neil, we thank love you. you. I You're great. Thank you. I <laughs> you guys so much. <laughs> Ah, uh, gosh. Okay, so if yes, lit- listeners too. would like to get in touch with you online, like please let the listeners know where they can find you if you wish to be found.
1: Yes, um, I do have uh, uh, Instagram. It's like my artsy brain dump Instagram. Um, not I will say there is nudity on it. I give you guys uh, give that caveat. But I'm at hello Neil one hundred H E L L O N E I L one zero zero um that's my instagram and that's really the only place i'm terribly active so <laughs> um, where yeah. I, um yeah that's that's it so cool
0: Yay. yes thank you
1: well this has been wonderful thank you guys so much i will leave it at that but i'm so glad to be proud of it <laughs> so yeah
0: <laughs> thanks neil thank you Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. To
3: keep up with us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Black and Animated.
0: And be sure to listen for more episodes on blackandanimated.podbean.com and on iTunes. The views
3: and opinions expressed in this podcast are of the respective individual and do not reflect the views of our
0: employers. Thanks, guys. Until
3: next time, see you later.
0: This episode is edited by Tyler Schlosser.